And so then what we're gonna do is we're gonna push things back about two minutes. So where we said we would start that one song at what, 1026? We'll start it at 1028. So just watch your screen over there on the computer somewhere where you can see the actual times.
Online. Uh, we had all the bad weather that we've experienced this week, and so we canceled our services uh, for in person. The parking lot is still bad, uh, so we didn't want you, and roads are still bad, and the temperatures, so we didn't want you getting out and getting on those things. So we're glad that you're there with us online and that we have this capability uh, to do this. So, welcome to those of you who are on Facebook there, on Twitter, uh, on any of those different platforms that we have. Uh, be sure to heart, to follow, to like us there, to share us uh, in any of those. Subscribe on YouTube, retweet us there on Twitter. You can see there uh, the different platforms that we're on so that you can make sure uh, that you are uh, sharing that with other people, <coughs> uh, what the actual link is there. Uh, we will not have services this evening in person or online, so just wanted to make you aware of that. But wanted to say welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming there also. If you go back to our previous post on Facebook and you need that phone number to share with someone who doesn't have the internet, 
Uh, you can find that there in our previous post on that post. It's not in the words, but it's on the picture that we put there. Uh, if you do have access to our church website, uh, this is the only way you can get a bulletin today, uh, is to go there and to download one. Uh, you can see some of the things that are upcoming. We've had to postpone some things. Uh, so where we had postponed last week, our deacons meeting to today, that'll be postponed again, I believe, until next Sunday. Uh, the men's night of worship uh, that was supposed to be last night, that got postponed again also for the following uh, week. And so just wanted to make you aware of those things. Be sure to get that downloaded so you can see all those things in your bulletin there. We do have children's worship bulletins that are there online, so be sure to uh, copy those, print those uh, out for your kids. If you have a printer at home, uh, you can have them at least see it there on a screen if you need to. Uh, it kind of goes along somewhat with the message uh, for today, and so I want to encourage you to do that. There's one for ages 3 and up, one for ages 7 and up, so be sure to get that downloaded. And then also don't forget our prayer list that's under that same info tab there uh, to get that downloaded, so you can uh, do that also. Um, uh, Pastor Matt is doing our, our stuff upstairs with the streaming and everything, so it may not look exactly uh, like you're used to seeing. Uh, we didn't train him in everything up there uh, yet, so we just did a crash course uh, this morning. So uh, just want to say welcome to you uh, this morning, uh, and thank you for being there uh, on those uh, different things. So uh, we're going to sing our first hymn. All of our hymns today are going to be on screen for you to see. Uh, they'll be uh, video songs. Uh, two of these will be out of our hymnals uh, that will be uh, playing the words on your screen, so be sure to, to watch there uh, on your screens. If you happen to have a Baptist hymnal uh, at home, uh, this one is Be Thou My Vision. It's page 60 in the Baptist hymnal, uh, so let's go to that and we'll begin singing. Thou and thou 
do want to encourage you, if you hopefully uh, have your uh, bulletin downloaded, you'll find our missionary moment uh, there. You can mute this one if you will. Okay. Uh, you'll find there that um, we have our missionary moment for Matthew Knight, who is serving in Dover, Delaware. Uh, he went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, in Fort Worth after the events of 9-11, uh, God began showing him how he could serve his country uh, as he served Jesus uh, through the chaplaincy program. And so uh, he leads three primary responsibilities uh, his team does. They care for families of fallen service members. They provide for uh, the mortuary staff, and they train chaplains and mental health professionals on how to serve uh, grieving families. And if you know about our son Christopher, uh, he is in uh, Bible college, eventually will be in the seminary there at Southern. This is what he has uh, felt led and called to, to be a chaplain uh, in the Air Force. And so we praise God for all of our chaplains uh, who serve uh, in the different branches of the military. And we especially want to pray that God will strengthen Matthew and the other chaplains as they give support to families, uh, especially grieving families, and as they minister uh, to uh, airmen and seamen, uh, as well as uh, those uh, uh, army uh, troops uh, in sharing the gospel uh, with them and helping them to come to faith in Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for Matthew Knight in Dover, Delaware, as well as all of our missionaries. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the many blessings that you have given uh, to us. Father, we pray that you would have your hand upon us uh, in a special way this morning as we're uh, far apart from one another. We know that you are with us. You've told us uh, in your word where two or three are gathered together, uh, there shall you be in their midst. And even that even means as we're gathered together uh, over the internet, over the, the ways that we're streaming our service this morning. And so, Father, we want to come on behalf of our missionaries, especially Matthew Knight, uh, Lord, who is serving uh, in the military as a chaplain. Uh, we have many of those um, missionaries who are doing that. There are many uh, areas that many more could be serving. Uh, and Father, we just pray that you will bring more laborers into the harvest there through the chaplaincy programs. Uh, Father, we pray, though, for those who have already answered that call and who are not only uh, serving uh, you and sharing the gospel, but they're also serving our country. Lord, may you place a hedge of protection about them. 
May you keep them safe uh, in your arms. And Father, we pray that you will use their lives and their ministries to bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you, Lord, for them answering the call. And we pray this morning, Lord, as, as we continue to think about our, our giving towards our missionaries with the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering ending, uh, as well as the Annie Armstrong Easter offering fixing to begin with our North American missionaries, we just want to pray, God, that you would continue to impress upon our hearts uh, what we should give towards uh, those offerings to reach uh, those goals to support those missionaries on the field. So, Lord, bless those missionaries. Place that hedge of protection about them. And we ask for you to provide for their every needs and minister, help them to minister to the families, especially those who are grieving. Father, we pray for this service this morning. We want to give everything to you and into your hands. Lord, we know that when we gather like this, there can be many distractions around us uh, in the home, uh, whether that's uh, the, the doorbell or the phone or, or kids or, or other people in the house that distract us from the service. Lord, help us to focus in on you, to listen to you, to speaking to our hearts, to participate in our worship through song. And Father, may you be glorified and honored in all that we do. Keep us all safe. Watch over us and keep us protected. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, well, we are uh, going to sing uh, our uh, next song here in just a moment, but let me just share uh, a couple of other things with you. I did mention earlier uh, that the men's night of prayer had been postponed, so we'll get you that information as soon as that uh, becomes available. Uh, if you are still interested in helping uh, in disaster relief, there are going to be some trainings that are going to be coming up. We'll be getting you that information, but if you're interested in helping in disaster relief, if you're on Facebook there, you can just comment in Facebook and we'll put you down on the list. Uh, if you're not, just call, you can comment in any of those other platforms. Uh, but we'll, uh, if you want to, you can call the church office uh, at 455-0645. Uh, you can send us an email at highlandbaptisttullahoma uh, at gmail.com. You can send it there, uh, and that way we can be able to get that. Or you can just let us know next Sunday when you're here uh, in person. I uh, also wanted to remind you, you can do your online giving. Uh, and so this is one of those things that may look a little different to those of you who are always home uh, on screen because we do have a little video that we usually play at this time. But let me just tell you, while you're there on the church website, uh, go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab. Uh, you can do your online giving uh, for your regular budget offering. You can do it for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So be sure to take the time uh, to do that, especially as you're not in person or, or make that up next week as you come. And then also don't forget we're still doing our emphasis on who's your one. If you've not picked up one of those cards that are here in front of the pulpit on Sundays, be sure to get one of those this coming Wednesday or this coming Sunday. Uh, we want to encourage you to be praying for individuals that are in your circles of influence that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We want to be able to place those on the cross uh, that we have over here on the stage because we want to pray for them. We're going to share their first names uh, with other individuals to be praying for them also. So we would ask if you would to just tear that little piece off uh, on the left-hand side here, the little blue part that has on the back where you write their name. That's what you'll place in the offering plate or leave it at the office there. And then the other part is a bookmark for you to be praying for 30 days uh, through Scripture for those individuals, praying for uh, their salvation, praying for the Holy Spirit to work uh, in their lives. And so uh, that's all the things I had to share with you other than just remember no services tonight. We, we, we will be back in person on Wednesday uh, for uh, Awana for Youth. Uh, for our Bible study and worship service. Choir will be back on Wednesday night. So just wanted to remind you about all those things uh, that are coming up. 
Uh, if you would, uh, we're going to ask you, see, even though if you're at home uh, for this song, to stand uh, with us as we sing. Uh, it's good to stay in that practice uh, even if you're at home. Uh, so if you would, let's stand. We're going to sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. seated. Thank you so much. Uh, we've got a special piece of music that we want to play for you uh, this morning before I bring uh, the message. Uh, so you prayerfully uh, listen to this song as we begin and continue with our worship. Your spirit moves and brings all 
heavens torn, the doors fling wide. I sing glory as I run inside the throne room before you. I bow. The Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse 2, we're actually going to go through verse 12, uh, is where we're going to go to. I've titled my message this morning, uh, Set on Fire, and I hope that you are being set on fire in your homes in more than one way, uh, that you're getting warm there, uh, but also especially that the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart and in your life this morning. So I'm going to ask you, even if you're at home there, uh, to stand with us as we read God's Word in honor of His Word, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. Would you stand with me as we read? God's Word in honor of His Word. Beginning with verse 1, Acts chapter 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up 
after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this morning. We thank you for watching over us. We thank you for protecting us. But, Lord, we thank you for being present with us, for being in our midst this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can come before your throne of grace because the veil has been ripped in two from the top to the bottom. We thank you for all that Jesus Christ has done for us, for his life, his sinless, perfect sinless life that he lived for the death on the cross and his burial in the tomb and the resurrection. Lord, I pray this morning uh, that we would get just a glimpse, if we will, uh, into the, the, the last words here of Jesus before he ascends to the Father in heaven. Lord, as we come to the conclusion of this study that we've been going through for over a year and a half through the life of Jesus. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would indeed set our hearts on fire. Lord, that everything we've read about Jesus, everything we've studied about Jesus, Lord, would set our hearts on fire, that we would have a passion to do all that Jesus has called us to do. So bless us this morning, Lord. Stir our hearts that, that as things begin to warm up this week and we get back to our lives, Lord, may we not get back to our lives as normal. May we be changed and transformed, uh, Lord, for the future. And may we begin to make an eternal impact in this world for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. You know, when you read about the early church in the first few chapters of Acts, and then you look at the church today, you can't help but ask the question, what happened? I mean, when you read about things happening in the early church, like 3,000 people being saved in one day, when you read about people coming together and sharing what they had with others freely, and you see how the early church exploded in one day as it grew from 120 people to over 3,000 people, and then you see ordinary people uh, like shepherds and farmers and fishermen who are bearing witness to anybody that would listen to them about Jesus Christ, when you see all of that, you'd have to say, now those were the good old days. What's even more incredible is that they did what they did without buildings, without budgets, without committee meetings, without business meetings. I mean, think about it. Financially, they didn't have any money. Politically, they had no influence. And numerically, they were just a tiny fraction of the world's population. And yet the church to this day has never seen such an explosive growth and such tremendous power. What was different? What did they have that we don't have? I mean, because think about it. The church today is bigger than it's ever been before. There are, at least what people proclaim, there are 2.38 billion people on the planet who claim Christianity as their faith. I dare say that's probably not true that they're all Christians, but they at least profess that uh, out of the over 7 billion that are on our planet. And yet, even though the church is bigger than it's ever been, would we really say that it's better? 
I mean, would we say that it's more vibrant, that it's more alive, that it's more on fire than it's ever been? I mean, think about it. Luke gives us the answer to why the church is so different. He wrote the book of Acts, and it's the most unique book in the New Testament because unlike every other book, uh, it, its main purpose wasn't theological. Its main purpose wasn't doctrinal. Its main purpose was historical. It, it's actually the second part of a two-book story. In his first book, The Gospel of Luke, he tells us about the founder of the church. He tells us about Jesus Christ. In this second book, the book of Acts, he tells us about the founding of the church. It's a story of how this small group of believers who, who no one had ever heard about turned their world upside down for Jesus and started a movement that's alive and well some 2,000 years later. But how did that happen? Well, here was their secret in one word, fire. This was a church that was corporately and individually set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the book of Acts talks more about the Holy Spirit than any other book in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit's mentioned over 50 times in this one book alone. The major symbol uh, for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is fire. And so when you read the book of Acts, you discover that Christianity began to spread like a fire from one place to another. One of the reasons why Jesus Christ came to this earth wasn't just to establish the church, but to set the church on fire. And so John the Baptist even said about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And then he says, he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus himself was so excited about sending this fire that he even said this in Luke chapter 12 and verse 49. He said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Think about it this morning. When you look at the average church and when you look at the average person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a question comes to mind for us. Are you on fire for the Lord? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you on fire for the Lord? Or are you just going through the motions? The reason why uh, the early church was so different was because it was made up of believers who were set on fire by the Holy Spirit of God. There's no substitute for the Holy Spirit. So because Jesus is alive himself, we ought to be on fire, and we ought to be excited to share him with this world. We have everything that the early church had to be everything that the early church was to be, and that was to be set on fire for God. So why should we be on fire for the Holy Spirit? That's what I want to share with you in these last words from Jesus' life and his earthly ministry here on this earth. The first thing I want you to see this morning is this. The message continues. So remember, Luke's written this first book, uh, and, and the, the Gospel of Luke, and, and now the message continues over into the book of Acts. So verse 1 and verse 2 we read a moment ago. What do we know about Luke? We know that he was a doctor. 
As such, he would have been probably educated, presumably wealthy. He had made many trips with Paul. He was loyal to him, even while Paul was in prison. Uh, you could just imagine uh, that his medical skills would have come in handy as he came to visit with Paul, uh, who would have regularly needed a doctor after all those beatings that he took. So we know that he was a doctor. We also know that he was a great writer. His records for us uh, are, are awesome. He, he records the stories of the prodigal son. He's the one who records the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and what he wrote shows a remarkable depth of precise historical research. He traveled and carefully interviewed those uh, who had key roles in Jesus' uh, life. In his quest to collect those details, he was, he was more like Indiana Jones than a history professor. Uh, he investigated. He, he reported on a vast amount of information. In fact, Luke and Acts are comprised of more material than all of Paul's letters combined. And since Luke was a companion of Paul, it's clear that he was probably involved with writing the majority of the New Testament. And yet Luke records virtually nothing about his own life. But what a sign of humility about his own life. He doesn't boast about his relationship with Paul, uh, nor does he go into detail about his own story. Instead, in Luke and Acts, in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, we read about his passion for the life-changing gospel. And when he writes, he reminds us, what he writes there reminds us that Christianity isn't built on man's speculation or, or on somebody's wild imaginations, but on the historical revelation that Jesus Christ himself really did live, that he really did die, and that he really did rise from the dead bodily. He appeared to hundreds of witnesses. Uh, he taught for 40 days before he ascends into the heaven. And so Luke here records details about the real life and ministry of Jesus as well as insights into the beginning of the early church. That's extremely important. Because think about it. While the world wouldn't need a historical Buddha to have Buddhism, it had to have a historical Christ to have a genuine Christianity. And, and we do too, because if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. But the fact we know is he is alive. And Luke says in his gospel that he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what he tells us there in verse 1. In that first book, he says, Oh, Theophilus. And by the way, he addresses that first book in Luke to Theophilus also. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so in Acts, Luke here writes about the same thing. He writes about the message of Jesus. He writes about the message that continues even after his ascension into the heaven, a message that is still going on today. The message continues today. Secondly, I want you to see that the ministry continues. The ministry continues. You'll notice this in verse 3 down through verse 5. So Luke here begins and he says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Get this off my screen there. And so verse 3 through verse 5 there, he's beginning to share with him. Luke is saying here, now I've written this gospel of Luke, which is what Jesus began to do. Now I'm going to write the gospel uh, or this book of Acts. Uh, this is what Jesus continues to do. What he's not saying is, is he's not saying I wrote what Jesus did it's finished, it's over, there's no more to do. No, he was saying, what I wrote to you at first is all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He says, now I'm going to write something else. I'm going to show you what Jesus Christ is continuing to do even after he ascends to the Father in heaven. So in the Gospels, you find out what Jesus did in his human body, in the flesh. In the book of Acts, you find out what Jesus is doing through his, through his body, uh, the church. And that's what the Bible calls in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, we're not just here imitating Jesus. You've heard the saying before, what would Jesus do. That implies, uh, that implies there, what would he do if he were here? What we re really need to realize is he is here. And it's not what would he do. We just need to let him do what he will do. You see, this church, now we're not talking about this building, we're talking about you as believers here at, at Highland Baptist. Uh, this church and any New Testament church is the body of Jesus in this city, in this state, in this nation, and around the world. We are Him. He is us. We're the visible part of the invisible Jesus. He's the invisible part of the visible church. If we ever let that thought get into us, that Jesus Christ is in us, that he began, uh, that thought that he began in the Gospels, but he continues today, that the church of Jesus Christ is the body of Jesus Christ on this earth, then we would begin to be all that he wants us to be. Now, we need to stop doing things for Jesus, and we need to start letting him do something through us. You see, there's only one person who's ever truly lived the Christian life. And that's Jesus. If the Christian life is ever lived where you live at or where you go to work at or where you go to school at, it won't be you living it. It'll be Jesus living it in you. And you may say, preacher, well, you're, you're just playing with words there. No, we're not. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So understand that if you're doing things for Jesus, that's superficial. But if Jesus is doing something through you, then that is supernatural. You see, the Christian life isn't difficult. The Christian life is impossible. It's impossible for us to, to match up to the standards of God's Word. But understand this, God does the impossible, and He'll do it in you and through you. Listen, it's not you, it's Jesus in 
you. So why did he give them this impossible mission? Well, he gave them this impossible mission because he knew that in him they could do it. But he also knew that without him they could not do it. So understand, we as God's church here at Highland, we cannot do anything without Jesus, without the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And so understand, we, we talked about this last week, what Jesus' marching orders are for the church. It's Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to verse 20, that we're to be uh, going uh, and teaching, uh, baptizing others, making disciples. Uh, we're to be doing all that as we're going, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Uh, and, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, we're to be making Jesus known. That's the ministry that continues. Thirdly, we see the mission continues. The mission continues. So take a look, if you will, at verse 6. So verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? Now, he had just got through saying to them back in verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they came together, this is when he asked, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So when the, when the apostles here hear the promise of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, they ask this that we just read in verse 6. In other words, they knew the Old Testament promise of the outpouring of God's Spirit was a promise for the last days when God would establish His kingdom on this earth and restore His people. You could look at places uh, like the book of Joel. Uh, you could look at places like Ezekiel chapter 39. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 25, uh, the Bible says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. He goes on to say in verse 29, And I will not hide my face anymore for them, for I, when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So when Jesus says that the long-awaited outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is just a few days away, their natural inclination is to ask for some clarification. Do you mean that the end is that close? See, the final kingdom, they're asking, is the final kingdom, is it about to be established in just a matter of weeks or even months? And notice what Jesus goes on to say in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Essentially, what He's saying to His disciples is, is this. That's none of your business. It's none of your business. And then He proceeds to tell them, This is what your business is. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went out, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go 
into heaven. So Jesus answered their question and said, that's not any of your business uh, about whether it's time for the kingdom to be established or not. He says, here's what your business is. We're going to come back to verse 8 uh, in a little bit. But he's giving them the mission of bearing witness uh, to him throughout the whole world. Uh, so notice uh, also uh, that Jesus' ascension includes an exaltation. In verse 2 and in verse 11, we read that Jesus was taken up. Verse 9 tells us that a cloud took him out of their sight. Now that cloud reminds us in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 14 that, uh, of the cloud that filled the temple so the priests couldn't even stand there. It, it reminds us of Jesus being on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, with his disciples in Matthew chapter 17. It reminds us of, of the pillar of cloud uh, that, that God used to lead the Israelites back in the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 13. The whole sight is one of God's awesome glory. It was so awesome that these disciples, they react with, with, with the kind of amazement uh, that, like kids have when, when they're watching a balloon that's floating up into the sky. And they're just amazed. And they're looking, how high is that balloon going to get? They're looking at Jesus as he begins to ascend on this cloud. And their gaze is stuck on Jesus. And they're looking at him, continuing to look at him as he continues to get higher and higher and higher. They're standing there in bewilderment. They're standing there in amazement. And notice here. It captivated their sight. And the Bible tells us that they worshiped. Jesus. Notice it was just thinking about what they had seen began to fill them with worship and joy. And what did they do? If you go on down to verse 12, it tells us that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. They went to Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus' words. You see, our response to Jesus ought to mirror theirs. We ought to joyfully worship and obey him. So the two who stood by them there said, Why? Why do you stand here just looking up into the heavens? This same Jesus who went up one day, he's coming back again just like he went up. They needed to understand that the ministry of Jesus continues on because he's not dead. He's still alive. It continues on because one day he's coming again. And that's what we as the New Testament church need to remember today also. That ought to be a passion that motivates us that one day Jesus is coming back again. And we ought to be able to be ready to stand before him with a clear conscience, with a clear heart, with a clear life, knowing we've done everything we needed to do. We've said all we needed to say. We've gone everywhere we needed to go. We've told every person we needed to tell so that we stand before him with a clear conscience. So notice the mission continues because one day he's coming again. But then I also want you to see that the witness continues. The witness continues. Go back, if you will, to verse 8. Verse 8 said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So in verse 7, 
the disciples had misunderstood what Jesus' life and ministry had been all about. They thought it was about them because if you go back to verse 7, notice what they were asking. They were saying, is it now that you're going to set up the kingdom of God? Uh, and so uh, the disciples, they had misunderstood there uh, the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus, he shows them and he shows us that his message and his ministry and his mission are not just about us. He tells them that it's about the world. See, understand, they were too limited in their thinking, like we so often are today. So Jesus here, he rocks their world as he tells them that the plan is for them to, to cross not just geographical barriers, but cultural barriers as well. In other words, Jesus blows up in their minds any ideas of triumph that they have as he calls them his witnesses. Now, we don't get the emphasis of that word because in our English language that sounds like a pretty word. But in the Greek, it's the, it's the word that is literally translated martyrs. The way of the kingdom is one of suffering before glory. They were supposed to tell others about the person and the work of the risen Christ and how he had fulfilled the prophecy of crushing the head of the serpent by making a way for sinners to be reconciled with the Father. They were witnesses. They were going to be martyrs in that they actually had seen Jesus' death. They had seen his resurrection. They had seen his ascension. And even though we don't have that privilege that they did, we are recipients of the eyewitness testimony that comes to us in the form of the writings of the disciples in the Word of God. And just like them, we have the privilege of bearing witness about the good news of the Messiah to everyone. God has a mission for the church, but unfortunately there's a vast majority of Christians who've refused to accept it because they're convinced that the mission that God has called them to is an impossible mission. Understand this. God wants you to have a ministry in the church but he also wants you to have a mission in the world. You see, ministry is serving Jesus for believers. Mission is sharing Jesus with unbelievers. We need to remember that we're saved to serve, but we're also saved to share. Uh, there are, these are the last words that Jesus ever said before he ascended to heaven in verse 8. So when Jesus left this earth, he had a mission on his mind and gave us several keys here to completing the mission. The first comes in the first part of verse 8 that tells us we have to function in God's missionary power. Verse 8 again says there at the beginning, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let me give you some great news and let me take a tremendous amount of pressure off of you and take a great load off of your shoulders. You don't have to be a perfect Christian, or even a perfect witness to share Jesus Christ. If that was true, nobody would ever share Jesus with anybody. 
This, the first requirement to this impossible mission is the power to carry out. So no under, understand this. It's not based on what you can or cannot do. It's based on the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Whether you believe this or not or whether you practice on a daily basis or not, if you are a child of God, you have at your disposal the greatest power on the planet Earth, the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, the problem with the average Christian isn't that they don't have power. The problem is they don't use the power. You have a partner in this mission, and your partner is the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what the book of Acts goes on to say in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. It says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. You see, the way you're to carry out your mission is simply to let the Holy Spirit fill you, to let the Holy Spirit control you, to let the Holy Spirit use you and speak through you at the right time, in the right place, in the right way, to begin to move people toward faith in Jesus Christ. You can't save them. You never could. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Your responsibility is to be a faithful witness. Too many people have let the devil sell them on a bill of goods believing that the mission's for somebody else, that the pastor can do it, the deacons can do it, the, the missionaries can do it, the Bible study teachers can do it, that, but that you can't do it. God never commands us to do something that he doesn't give us the power to do. So understand this. God can use you in His way with your unique personality, your unique giftedness to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. To do it, you need to function in God's missionary power. You also have to fulfill God's missionary purpose. You have to fulfill God's missionary purpose. Look again at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now with, the now, with this power, and because of this power, Jesus goes on to say what we just read there, that you will be my witnesses. When Jesus made this statement, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to tax collectors. He's talking to fishermen. He's talking to farmers. He's talking to homemakers. He's talking to businessmen. In other words, he's talking to people just like you and me. Incidentally, understand this. There is no plan B to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Either we will be his witness or there will be no witness. He wants us to be his witnesses. So let me carefully explain what that means and what that does not mean. Not everybody is called to preach. Not everybody is called to teach. Not everybody's called to be an evangelist. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not, everybody is, uh, not everyone is equally gifted in the area of evangelism. But every single one of us as believers in Jesus Christ are called to be a witness. Here's what Acts chapter 2 and verse 32 says. This Jesus God raised up, and of that... We all are witnesses. So in the early church, everyone was a witness. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody did it the same way. doesn't mean everybody used the same formula, the same words. But everybody allowed God to use them in their own way, with their own giftedness, with their own personalities, to be a tool to bring people to Jesus Christ. It's important to understand what you are and what you're to do. 
you're to be a witness. Understand what you are not. You are not a salesman. You're not trying to high, use high-pressure tactics to get people to buy into your product. You don't have to sell anybody. You don't have to strong-arm anybody. You don't have to argue anybody into heaven, and you couldn't do that anyway. God is sending us around the world to tell all people everywhere the great things God has done for us so that they too will believe and obey Him. God's called us to be His witnesses. He's not called us to be His lawyers. He's not called us to be His prosecuting attorneys. He's not called us to be His judges, just His witnesses. Now, witness is very simply a person with a testimony. And every Christian has a testimony. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Peter tells us uh, that we were chosen by God in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 9, but, God, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's all witnessing is, is simply taking a God-given opportunity to share what Jesus did for us and to share your personal experience about the Lord. Think about this. In a courtroom, a witness doesn't argue the case. They don't even try to prove the truth. They don't even press for a verdict. All a witness does is just testify of what they know, of what they've seen, of what they've heard. We have the power of the Holy Spirit and the purpose that God has given us so that thirdly, we have to follow God's missionary plan. Look at the rest of verse 8. We have to follow God's missionary plan. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So understand that Jesus not only tells us what we're to do, he tells us how we're to do it. But he also tells us where we're to do it. First of all, we're to go to our community. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Jesus was when he spoke these words. In other words, what he was saying was this, the first place I want you to be my witnesses is in your own neighborhood, where you live right here. But understand this, that's not where we stop, and so often we want to stop there. That's where we're to start. You don't have to go overseas to be involved in God's mission work. It starts right here. Somebody has well said that every Christian is either a missionary or a mission field, and you can be on mission right where you live. So then he says, we're to go to our country. Because notice after Jerusalem, we're to go to all Judea and in Samaria. He's saying that we need to go to the people we like and the people we don't like. That's what he's mentioning there in mentioning Judea, the people that are like us, the people we despise, the Samaritans. We're to go to people we like, people we don't like. We're to go to our nation, to our country. Understand this, there's about 170 million people in this country who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, at least that many. What are we as individuals, what are we as a church doing to try to make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God by touching this country for Christ? And then finally, he says, we're to go to the continent. Jesus ended by saying that we're to go to the ends of the earth. Notice the rest 
of verse 8. We're to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Every single person that's healthy enough and able ought to go on a true mission trip outside the borders of this country. Understand, it will change your whole life. Those who aren't able to go, you ought to be involved in some ministry to help in reaching the lost of this world right here. You'd be amazed at how many of you have a gift that you could use on the mission field. Our missionaries, our mission agencies need nurses and doctors who will go and provide medical care. We need businessmen and businesswomen who will go and train others in good business principles. We need farmers to go to teach people better farming practices to provide food for people. We need engineers to help solve problems to meet people's needs. We need people with construction skills to help churches and facilities to build those for the nations. There are so many ways, and that's just, that's just a few things. If that didn't touch you about things you can do, just know whatever you are gifted at, there are so many ways we can follow God's missionary plan. But we have to find God's missionary passion, as verse 12 goes on to tell us. So verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. They left that day from that mountainside. They literally went and turned their world upside down for Jesus. What happened that day changed their lives forever. This last point is by far the most important point. Because understand, you know what determines what your passion is in life? Your priorities. Priorities always determine passion. If a person's priority is making money, then money will be their passion. If a person's priority is, is playing a sport, that sport will be their passion. If a person's priority is acting or dancing or work or whatever, that will be their passion. But when you make Jesus your priority, and when you make people who don't know Jesus a priority, people will become your passion. If you fail to fulfill your God-given mission, you will have lived a wasted life. Paul said this in Acts 20, verse 24, But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What we so desperately need isn't just a passion for people without Jesus. We need the compassion of Jesus Christ for people. You see, the number one barrier that almost all of us have to climb over to attempt missions is fear. If you're afraid of being a witness, ask God to fill your heart with the compassion for people who need to know Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, the church or the Christian that doesn't want to be involved in the mission of God is really saying to this world, I don't care. For all I care, you can die and go to hell. That may be harsh, but that's what we're saying by our actions. So let me close with this. What are you willing to do to become a part of missions? The single most important investment you can ever make in your life is in the souls of people. And the single most important achievement you can ever have in this life is to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. Who are you taking to heaven with you? 
Who, are, who is going to walk up to you in heaven in eternity and say to you, thank you, thank you for what you did, for what you said, for what you gave, for where you went. I'm here because of you. There was a young man who applied for a job at a theater. During the interview, the manager said, now what would you do if a fire broke out while the film was showing? Well, the young boy, he said, you don't have to worry about me. I'd get out okay. We think that's so funny because you know, we're so concerned about our own self. You know, too many of us are going to heaven, but we don't really care if others escape the fire or not. God has given us a mission, and we have to choose to accept it, and we have to do all that we can to lead others out of the fire and into the light. So let me ask you again, are you on fire for the Lord, or are you just going through the motions? Today, 2,000 years later, after the ascension of Jesus, we have the same mission, we have the same message, we have the same might, the same power. We have the same ministry that can literally set this world on fire for Jesus. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, set us on fire and let our light shine as bright and our faith burn as hot today as it did 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I pray that even though we're apart from one another in person, that this message has stirred our hearts. Father, I pray that you will be glorified in the response of our lives to be a part of the mission that you've called us to. Lord, that we would be set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, speak truth into our hearts. Lord, if there's somebody who's watching this morning who doesn't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, I pray they would call out to him and say, Dear God, I realize this morning I'm a sinner. I realize I need Jesus as my Savior. And I come this morning professing my belief in what he did for me, that he lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if somebody's prayed something like that in their own heart, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would publicly profess that faith in Christ. Let them comment there in the comments. May they call our church office so we can talk with them more. Father, I pray that they would come to the place of receiving Jesus. But Lord, there are many of us who are watching online this morning who we know Jesus already. Lord, somewhere along the way, we've lost the fire. We've lost the passion that we once had when we first came to faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would fan the flames once again in our hearts. Lord, that you would set us on fire for the days ahead. And Father, may we be all that we need to be and do all we need to do before that last day comes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to ask you to listen, maybe even sing along with our hymn of invitation uh, as you respond to the Lord. So listen prayerfully this morning.
Bow down before. 